I don't remember exactly how long ago it was, and I assume this is working. I got an email from Pastor Nate and uh, said, uh, what are you doing? How are things going in your life? And uh, that's usually an indication that there's something up, you know. (laughs) And uh, so I I said, well, things have been kind of crazy, and uh, I'm sure a number of you are aware, but a year ago, 26th last January, my wife graduated and went to heaven, and uh, so uh, since then, life has been different for me especially after we were married for 61 years. And uh, when I think about Genesis where it talks about making a helpmate, to me, I translate that, uh, and I'm making for you a completer and companion. And she was definitely a completer in my life. However, God happened to lead us. Uh, She stepped right in and did it. And uh, I was uh, older before I started Bible college. And... um, I thought I was an old guy, a little bit intimidated, but uh, I felt the call definitely. And so my wife, when my, I finally got up a nerve, enough nerve to share with her, I don't know, maybe it was a month or two after I felt God laying on my heart because it just seemed so crazy. I was a millwright in my early days by trade. And so carry the scars of uh, some of those things. <laughs> and, uh, but so we uh, got around and moved to Portland and I went to Multnomah School of the Bible after she finished uh, college. She'd had two years of college before we were married. And, and so she went back to school after God popped my bubble that I could do it by myself. I didn't need her help. And, uh, and so she taught in Portland while I was going to school. Besides having three children, our youngest just starting the first grade. So it was quite a transitional year for us. And uh, English is not one of my strong points. Writing isn't either. And we had a little old Smith Corona portable typewriter. She typed all my class papers on that little old typewriter, besides everything else she did. And I always said she could do more accidentally than most people could on purpose. But uh, so, and you know, from there as God led, it, led us along, and uh, she actually was much more mature than I was. She grew up in a Christian home, and some kids can grow up in a Christian home and not learn a thing. But um, she learned a lot. And she was a very intelligent lady. And uh, so spiritually more mature than I was for a long time. And uh, she sensed things. In fact, when I finally got up enough nerve to um, share with her, I felt God was speaking to me concerning the ministry. She just smiled, and God had burdened her heart at the same time. And she was just waiting for God to move me. She was smart enough to know that if I was ever going to take the leadership, spiritual leadership in the home, she had to you know, back off and just let God deal with me. And so that's kind of how it was. And while I was in Bible college, why the fellows I was going to school with, a bunch of us married students, why we, um, we would get together and they said, man, if I could just get a little pastorate while I'm going to school, you know, that would just be great. And I said, not me. I got all I can do just to get through school. And I don't want to take on anything else. Well, guess who wound up being in the pastorate before school was out? And uh, and she had sensed it, and uh, I had gone back during the summers to make enough to pay for Bible college again the next year. Well, when I went back to the end of my uh, junior year, why, uh, while I was gone, and we were just going to a little church. To me, it was all town, but when I look back now, it was pretty country back in those days. We were out in southeast Portland, and uh, 
And the pastor had resigned and said, they want you to take it. And I said, no way. I said, I'll fill in for two or three Sundays until they can find someone. And the rest kind of wound up being history, and I just kept fighting it. And, and finally one night, as I was trying to study and couldn't because I was so out of fellowship with the Lord because I didn't want to even listen to what he had to say. And uh, she said, why don't you quit fighting it and just give in? And went upstairs to where our kids' bedrooms were real quick before I threw something at her. <laughs> About the few hours later, I finally gave up and said, okay, God, if that's what you want. But, uh, and ultimately got called to the pastorate there. And uh, we... The church was going through a transitional time. They'd had a lay pastor, and uh, I was encouraging them to uh, get a missionary pastor in to be able to give his full time to it. And, and by that time, I had finally, I told my wife after the end of a, my junior year that we probably ought to settle down. We put our membership into the church. They had a weird time. They had elections in the spring instead of in the middle of the, you know, first of the year. And uh, so, you know, once you become a member, you're a warm body. And uh, so I got elected to serve as one of the deacons in the church. And uh, actually, first they asked me about Sunday school seminary. I said, I'm going to be gone for the summer if I have a job waiting for me at warehouse. If they don't go out on strike, and it was one of those times when labor negotiations were coming up and... Uh, so I said, I wouldn't even be able to take it until I got back to school in the fall. And I said, you want it that way, that's all right. And so, guess who got elected? And, uh, and then they didn't go out on strike. So I went down and worked that summer and made enough, you know, to put myself through another year of school, how God provides those things. And uh, so the person that was the assistant had to step up into the superintendent role. Well, then when the pastor resigned... When I came back, I said, well, filling in is all I can do besides going to school full-time, so to speak and so forth like that. So I never did serve as Sunday school superintendent. <laughs> and then at the middle of the year, then they, uh, at the first of the year, actually, they wound up calling me as their pastor, and I worked with the, the group there. And so I went to school each morning, and um, then each afternoon I came home from school and worked all afternoon with a missionary builder from Tuesday through Friday and all day on Saturday and then spoke on Sunday and that was kind of an interesting life back in those days but my wife had sensed again she was ahead of me at that point so it really wasn't until we came south as the area missionaries down here that uh, really uh, God spoke to my heart first in fact she questioned it because she saw my pastor's heart and said I can't see you as a missionary because that's a lot of administrative type things you know and uh, and I love to call and uh, that uh, type of thing so but anyway I said well you know and I just finally told the Lord because Portland was the last place I ever wanted to be in case you don't know me I'm a country boy and uh, cities are the last place I ever wanted to be but uh, and God provided a place down here we live out in the country in fact uh, Garland and Roberta lived on Sardine Creek Road when they were here and Garland was my predecessor in case that you're not aware of that uh, they served as the missionaries, and they were gone. So it was about nine months before we were appointed to come to the field down here after they left. But um, So Garland has tracked me pretty close. He said, if uh, nobody else reads your bulletin, I read it cover to cover every time you send it to me. You know, keep track. But anyway, the Lord located a place on Sardine Creek Road, and it was on an old 80-acre farm. And ultimately, 
a couple of years later, we wound up buying 10 acres off of that with the old house in the middle of it. And then after I semi-retired, I went back and totally tore off half and rebuilt half of it. And then we tore the rest off and did that. So life has been full for us. But uh, um, God knew what he was doing. And I just said, you know, it's hard for the Lord to guide you unless, you know, you're moving. And I just prayed, God, if you don't want us to come and, you know, close the door. Well, he didn't close the door. He tore off the hinge. So it's, you know, it's kind of interesting uh, how God does those uh, things. And so it's been just an incredible uh, time that we've been down here. And, of course, with some of my skills as far as construction and so forth, I was fit for the camp. And uh, But I don't know if you're aware or not, but Garland is the one that had the vision and encouraged them to purchase the camp. And... uh, one of the pastors always said, no, Garland's the one that got us in debt, and I was known as the guy that got him out of debt, so that was kind of nice, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but it was uh, really interesting. Uh, in the first two years we were down here, we uh, saw the debt totally erased. In fact, they bought that camp, 240 acres, for $29,000. And, you know, people today, you just can't believe it, but back in those days, because that was in 1966, that was a lot of money, and... Uh, but Garland's the one that had the vision for Four Point Bible Conference and, uh, and a camping program. And so, and a good thing I didn't know about him, or I might not have come because it was awfully big. I'd, he took his shoes with him, fortunately, because I wouldn't have been able to fill them. But uh, so that's kind of the background, how I fit in. So as soon as Garland came down here, it wasn't long that he invited me to Ashland Bible Church. And that's when I began to get acquainted with all you folks, which has been a good number of years ago now. Uh, <clears throat> So I said, what am I going to do? You know, I've had for I don't know how many months now all my books packed up away. In fact, I'm not even sure where my stuff is anymore. And I told Nate, I said, you know, this is kind of the situation it is. But I said, okay, I'm not going to leave you in a bind. So if, um, if you can't find someone, you know, I will stop and fill in. I am so grateful for Ashland Bible Church and how that you have partnered with us through the years and encouraged us as missionaries and still continue to do that. And this allowed me to do some things that otherwise would have been a lot harder to do. And uh, I became a member of the IFCA, um, oh, years ago now. And uh, so I've been an individual member because I felt doctrinally that's where I was. And, and it was American Sunday School Union when I came in in 74, which is what Garland uh, served in. I came, actually came in in 1972. And they changed the name in 74 to American Missionary Fellowship, which it was until 13, when now it's known as In Faith. But um, uh, it um, just, you know, so much uh, going on and and everything that was happening. But um, when Nate was talking about this, and one of the things, and Philippians is kind of one of the books that grabs my heart when it comes to logical, and I like things logical. I can't follow people that noodle and go all over the place, but um, why the book of Romans, of course, lays it out so clearly, and I've loved that book. But when it comes to the heart and us functioning as believers, really, Philippians is the one that has really uh, spoken to my heart. Years ago, uh, I was given a little old thin book called Be Joyful. And it was on my bookshelf for a long time. And then when I decided I was going to speak through Philippians, and as I would travel on the circuit, because in case you're not aware, and, and Garland did exactly the same thing, 
Um, there were actually seven counties in Southern Oregon assigned to us. I never got into more than five counties at a time. And the ones that I primarily worked in was the southern half of Douglas and Josephine and Jackson and uh, Klamath and Lake. And uh, so I did quite a lot of traveling on the road. And then, of course, with the development of the camp, and since that, I was gifted in that way, I was able to really help bring the camp a long ways along that way. And then when July came along, it was camping. And uh, so life has always been full. But anyway, uh, going back to this, I thought, I got a couple questions, though, I'd like to ask just to get a, a feel of the uh, audience a little bit, since I haven't been around any of you for a long time, and some of you I've probably maybe never met. And, and that is, uh, how many of you have been in church for at least five years? How many of you have been in for 10 years? How many have been in for 15 years? Okay. And uh, probably I could ask somebody, how many have you been in 50 and you'd raise your hand? But um, it gives me a little idea that way. Uh, my second question is, and by the way, did we start early, or does uh, Pastor Nate just uh, speak for about 45 minutes? Oh, I didn't ask that question when I came. Well, you know, I was going to say it's possible today that you'll be waiting on the kids to see the kids on you. So, <laughs> whatever. Okay. I was always told when when. Uh, boring for oil if you don't hit it, in, or for water if you don't hit it in 30 minutes, quit boring. So, or drilling for oil, or water. If you're drilling for water, if you don't hit it in 30 minutes, quit boring, you know. So, I don't know. Anyhow, uh, the second one is, uh, and um, you can do a little hand here for me. Um, if, you're, if your week went great, do this. Did your week was a bummer this week? <laughs> and then uh, if it was just so, so, you know, it, uh, well, so many times, and I guess this is the thing, and, and it was at Warren Wearsby that uh, that little tiny book, sometimes, you know, I find the small books are worth a whole lot more to me than those big volumes that you just got to pour through to get to the point of things. And uh, I kind of want to know what the bottom line is. I don't know how some of you, but, and I'm a slow reader, so it takes a long Time for me to get through things. But anyway, he mentioned, uh, well, let me give you a little background of the book of Philippians first and um, remind, looks to me like most of you, I'm sure you remember that um, Philippians was founded on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, he was going to go into another place and God told him he can't go there and he had that vision and there was a man standing, you know, saying, come on over to Macedonia and uh, Philippi. And... Uh, I always wonder what Paul thought when he got there, because he went along down, uh, wasn't big enough to have a synagogue or anything, and uh, so they would meet along the river, you know, for prayer. And so he went down there, and he found a bunch of ladies. He saw a man's vision, but, you know, it didn't stop Paul. And you remember him sharing the gospel? And there was a business lady that came to know Christ, and... Uh, and then Paul really stayed with them for a while, and then you remember that uh, he was preaching in Philippi, and and got in trouble and got thrown in jail. And uh, God uh, shook the jail a little bit. The doors flew open and uh, the jailer was going to kill himself. And Paul told him, don't harm yourself if you remember. And, and uh, we're all here. 
Because in those days, your prisoners got out, it's your life for theirs. And um, so um, he went out and, you know, he asked that question, what must I do to be saved? I don't know whether he was asking about salvation or not. I, I kind of questioned whether he was. I think he was asking, how am I going to save my life in this whole mess? But, you know, uh, Paul got right down to the real need. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And if your household believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll be saved. And you remember that great transformation of the Philippian jailer and came to Christ and the church really, you know, began to grow in Philippi. In fact, they're the only church that Paul allowed to support him out of all the groups that he went to. So they were a very special church to him and he was uh, on their hearts. In fact, as he's reading here, and I've, I've thought about even Ashland, you know, not that I go back to the starting of Ashland, but uh, in verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he goes on with a great next verse. Being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I'm reading from the NIV 84 edition, in case you're wondering what I'm uh, reading from. Um, uh, it flows, and I like it. I'm not as crazy about the new one. And, uh, but um, anyway, in case you're wondering what translation I'm using on that. And so Paul was writing this, you see, uh, to them, and they were very dear to him. And I've been so grateful for you all how you've continued on. And I, I started to mention that um, it's allowed me to do, especially a couple things, um, Foots Creek is more or less in the middle for the pastors and wives to get together for the southern part of the states. Uh, and so the church there has allowed me to, uh, to and my wife to sponsor it until she went home to glory. And then my sister Sandy came along when she was sick one time and did it. And it wasn't long after that. My wife was in heaven and she's just continued to, to work and do the kitchen part of it as we uh, will we'll host that each every couple of months except for the summer months. So it allows me to get the things we need to do to, to take care of all those kinds of things, and so I've been grateful for that. And then also I've been able to help, um, well, several different things, but um, if I see young anyone that gets really serious about living for the Lord and studying and learning God's Word, there's one Bible commentary in particular. It's called the Bible Knowledge Commentary put out by Dallas Theological Seminary. And... Uh, that I've given lots of sets away. And this allows me to do that. In fact, the last set I, I gave away went to India to a national pastor over there that our church supports. And uh, so it's, and Pastor Rich knows that I do those kind of things. And he called me and said, you got an extra set of those? And I said, uh, and by the way, I do. He said, could you bring them? And I said, sure. And uh, I haven't replenished that yet. And I didn't share with you, but because of my wife's passing away, and I told the family, I think we had a little family council after she was back in the hospital, and, and I know I was talking to Merlin a little earlier, but um, she was diagnosed with cancer in October, uh, in October of, 19, of, of 2015, and uh, with melanoma that had metastasized and gone inward. And um, we had her sister living with us at that time who had Parkinson's and who had fallen and broken her back. And Mary Ellen said, well, how in the world am I going to take care of my sister? And, uh, but God graciously did that and took her sister home in December of 15. 
And uh, by then, they had they put Mary Ellen immediately on this Opdivo, which is an immune enhanced builder, but it didn't help her at all. But then they learned the exact type, and so they said we were able to zero in, and they put her on chemo, and it was by pills, shipped them to our house. I'm not going to tell you how much they are, and I'm not crazy about government sometimes, but we've been so grateful for Social Security uh, and the Medicare whole thing that you know took care of those uh, types of things. And uh, we really had um, two great years uh, together, a little more than that, actually. And I'm, those have been around me, I'm kind of straightforward. And so when we saw the oncologist for the first time, I said, uh, I want to know how much time do we have? And uh, he kind of, how many, well, um, and of course this would have been, I don't know whether it was still in October or it was probably into November by then. And he said, well, I'm pretty confident you'll see this Christmas and fairly confident the next. And that's all he said. And uh, because um, up until probably five years ago, they had no cures for melanoma at all. It was just a death sentence. And, uh, but they put her on this and she just did remarkably well, had no side effects or anything like that. And it was fine up until January. And the week before she passed away, and we began to notice, but at first, we did spend about 10 days in the hospital because the chemo was too strong, and they cut it back, and she just did great. And people would ask her at church, because she still served as their um, um, fellowship committee chairman and director of the VBS in the summertime and a few of those things, and she did it right through uh, 2017. And, uh, but she had slowed down and didn't do as much, but people stepped up, but she was still going. And then within a week from the time she fell on a, on a uh, Friday, no, Saturday, and then the next uh, Saturday morning, one o'clock in the morning, she was in heaven just that quick, you know. So I'm so grateful for how God did all those things, anything. But after that, I told the family that um, I'm going to take a year before I do anything, but uh, living out in the country, and I've um, had eye challenges since 1970. Well, I was diagnosed in 70, and uh, so my wife had done most of the driving, but I did it when I needed to, but now I'm driving full-time again. But I said, I'm not going to do anything for a year, and then, but I am seriously thinking about moving into a retirement center. And uh, so the first year was just kind of, I didn't realize how many legal things there is a mess with. And to get straightened out, I thought I had things in good order, because we'd already put together the family trust, and, uh, and then it was dealing with the house. And I've lived there 47 years. And I don't know about you, but I tend to be a collector and my wife wasn't much better. So, <laughs> so we started the process, you know, and put it on the market this spring. And now I'm just kind of in the process right now of possible deal. So, you know, there's all those inspections that we're going through right now. So that's kind of what's been going on. But, but with all of that said, I've really had a perfect peace. And it goes back uh, to the book of Philippians here. And you've got a brief outline. And as I was talking to Kent, I said, well, I'm going to give you a little outline over the phone. Well, that's a good place for it. I don't need it anyway. <laughs> well, I'll take it back if you want the trouble picking it up. I'll just stick it up here so I know what you have. Uh, but looking at this book, uh, when, when I begin to look at it, and, you know, Paul is writing um, to the Philippians, and it's a thank you letter in a way, thanking them because they sent Epaphroditus. 
he was really probably the head elder at the church at Philippi, and they didn't spare anyone. They sent their, I think their head fellow, to Paul with an offering, but also to take care of his personal needs. And so Epaphroditus was there with him. And you read a little further in the book of Philippians, he almost died. And so he's talking about that he was getting ready to send him back to him and to encourage them because of his faithfulness and all of this. So it, he was writing to thank them, but the book is much more than a thank you letter. The book is the key to rejoicing uh, um, and um, happiness is a word that, you know, sometimes we think about frivolity and all of that. That's not what it's talking about here. Joy is not necessarily, you know, things are going great. In fact, we can have deep down joy when the cow's gone, uh, when the, uh, yeah, cow's gone dry and the chickens quit laying and everything's took a turn for the worse. And we can still have real joy in our life. And when I begin to learn that, and when he mentioned about these four thieves that uh, we have here in the book, um, it just it just opened up things for me, and you know, simple how four little things like that can do. But he talks about these four thieves. You see one in chapter one. You see a second one in chapter two. You see a third one in chapter three, and a fourth one in chapter four. And I don't leave with anything else. That's the one thing. It is so important about our spiritual focus. You know, um, you get. Frustrated because things are not moving like they ought to, or things maybe have fallen on the floor, you know. All you've got to do is think about 95% of the people of the world and what condition are they living in. You know, we have got it so cushy here. Even the poorest of people in this country have it so cushy. You know, it's just unreal. And um, we can rob ourselves of so much joy in life, even when the cow's gone dry and the chickens quit laying and everything else took a turn for the worse. And I, hopefully that at least I've whetted your appetite to think about um, those things today as we reflect upon that. I, um, <clears throat> and so the spirit is, the secret to happiness is our spiritual focus. And you'll see this in the book of Philippians as we go along here and in so many of the books as we go along. Um, and so that um, it just explains the way that we can have joy in all these things. So I'm going to go right now. I don't know how we're going to come out for time, but we'll see. And by the way, Kent, when I got five minutes, do this or something. Because when I'm speaking, I don't have anything else on the mind, and I can't see very good anyway. So, uh, And we'll wrap it up. But I, I really like to go through this. So the first thief, as we find in chapter 1, I just need to stick this up here, is uh, found in, in chapter 1, and Paul's in prison here. In fact, he's chained in prison. Uh, in fact, let's drop down to verse 12 of Philippians, if you've got your Bible open. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me is uh, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God courageously. So here it's clear that Paul's in chains when he's writing this letter. And 
And yet we see him just joy flowing out of his life. And, you know, it's so crazy. You know, Paul wanted to uh, go to Rome earlier, and things didn't work out that way, and, and, you know, we got our plans and so forth. Well, you know, God said, you know what, Paul? I can just cut through all this red tape. You don't have to worry about visas. You don't have to worry about anything. I'll just take care of it. And sometimes God works in the strangest ways, you know. And so we know the story, don't we? That a bunch of Jews accused him, tried to kill him, actually, when they found him in the temple, made false accusations and all that. And, and he went down, he went through some um, pre-trials and all of that, and finally he appealed to Caesar and wound up going to Rome free of charge on the government. And when he got there, and what did Paul always do when he, when he would go to a city? He'd go where the people were. He'd try to go to the leaders and speak to them. So what happened? He's in prison. And so who had to come listen to him and find out what kind of a heretic he was? The leaders. And, and, and you know, Paul here said he never did say, he was in chains for what? For Christ. He never did say he was ever in chains. The Romans had him in chains. He was in chains for Christ. And so this first thief here in chapter 1 is circumstances. And circumstances can rob us of our joy. And so Paul, you see, wasn't going to allow circumstances to rob him of joy because he had a purpose. And really the key verse is verse 21 in chapter 1 here. For Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So that's the bottom line that I have is to live for Christ and that my life counts for him, regardless of whatever situation that I find myself in. And uh, so directed that way. And, and so what happened? How, how would you like to have been chained for Paul for six hours at a time? Who do you think was the prisoner there? You know, I mean, if anybody heard about Christ, every one of those prisoners got to hear about Christ. And you read on a little later in the book of Philippians, and it talks about a number of the leadership had gotten saved. See, God knows what he's doing. And, uh, and, and that's the thing, because it's confusing to us so many times. In fact, sometimes I will say tongue-in-cheek, Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? Now, I know full well God knows what he's doing, but I'll tell you, what's happening right now doesn't make a bit of sense to me. Not a bit of sense. But God knows what he's doing. And I can trust him for that. You know, in Psalm 139, um, <clears throat> uh, there the psalmist said, you know, uh, speaking, and, um, and God's speaking, there as the psalmist is writing, and he says, I know when you sit down and when you get up. He said, I know what's on your mind even before you think it. Now that can take us back, and we need to remember that. There are no secrets between us and God. God knows everything. So we just need to learn to be honest and, and walk before him and ask God to give us strength and so that our life will just honor and glorify him. Uh, it's, uh, and Paul got that, and he's writing and he's sharing that, you see, with others. And he said uh, in the first chapter here, and uh, since we're not going to get into it, I'll give you a little bit of a flavor of it. Come back sometime, might go deeper. But uh, he said, because I'm in chains, because I'm sharing Christ fearlessly, he said a lot of the brothers are being encouraged, and man, they're encouraged to do it too. And then he said, you know, and there's some of them, though, they're preaching Christ out of envy. If you go ahead and read the rest of this first chapter here, just a little, few verses down from where I read to you. And uh, 
He says, they're just trying to make it tough on me. So that's all right, Christ being preached. Whether for good motives or bad motives, that's okay. At least Christ's name is being upheld. I'm not sure I could have said that. But that's Paul's perspective, you see. He just, it gripped his heart. He had one purpose, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so um, it's just amazing Paul's vision there, how he saw that and went on. And so, um, you know, Paul's chains, but he was chained for Christ, not for Rome. Just amazing how God uses those situations. And so in chapter 1, the thief is circumstances. The key to it is the single mind. It's the single mind, you see, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. When you get into chapter 2, the thief is people. Have you ever said, if it just wasn't for my neighbor, I'm not going to get more personal as far as family is concerned, but, you know, things would be all right. If it just wasn't for that person I had to work for down on the job, things would be great. Or if it just wasn't for whoever, things would be great. And so people can rob us of our joy, but it's our choice to allow them to do that. It's our choice to allow them to do that. And so uh, the key verse in uh, chapter 2 is found in verse 3 where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself, and look not only on your own interest, but also on the interest of others. Now, I, that might have been my paraphrase if you're following along in Scripture, but that's, that's, that's the essence to what he's saying. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And then as you go down, then when you get into verse 5 and following, the greatest example of all is Jesus Christ himself. And you know, it's where Paul went on writing, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He, it wasn't something to be grasped onto, but he left everything, took on himself the form of a servant, became obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. Again, Paul was focused, wasn't going to allow people to rob him of his joy. And uh, he just kept, um, kept that in mind all the way through. And as you go through, and he talks about this servanthood there in chapter 2, and then he gives two more examples, which was Timothy and then Epaphroditus also as examples of real servants' hearts, you see. And that's what Paul had. Because of that, People couldn't rob him of his joy. Kept his mind on that. In chapter 3, the thief there is things. And just to give you a little bit of, of background to Philippians uh, chapter 3, um, Paul is writing there, and there's some of them, they're Judaizers who are giving him a tough time and so forth, like to start with. But then Paul says, hey, you guys think you've got something, I've got more um, things behind my name than you could ever think of. I came from good stock, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee and, and all the rest. And then he goes on and makes this statement, but I count them but rubbish for the sake of knowing 
Christ. You know, so it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's names behind us, whether it's the nice boats or whatever we like to have or clothes or anything else. Um, so many times that if I just had this, then I'd be happy and we'd get it and what else? Well, now if I just had this, then I'd be happy, you know. And uh, it's just so easy that way. But Paul did not allow that to hinder him. In fact, he said, I just count all that stuff but rubbish compared to the sake of knowing Christ. And then when you get on over to verse, I believe it's 13, um, <clears throat> I want to go back to verse 12. Uh, again, you see Paul's focus here in this, in, in chapter 3 now. He said, um, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold for that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press towards the goal there or the mark as we learn in King James for the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was so focused, and, you, and we, as you read through Philippians, you're going to see this all the way through as you go back and read. We're just kind of hitting some highlights, you know. But he was focused, you see. All this stuff I count rubbish. And really, the key verse in uh, chapter 3 is verse 21, and where Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, where we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's that old hymn, this world's not my home, I'm just a passing through. Well, you know, that is so, so true. Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. Our citizenship's in heaven. And I'm not trying to put down, we're so fortunate to be Americans in this country, but it's way below our citizenship in heaven. And Paul is just reminding us we need, we need to remember that. The key is, where's our citizenship? What are we living for? Is it great circumstances? Is it people that don't give us ulcers? Is it that everything goes cushy and I never have a problem in the world? Circumstances are fine. Why are we here for? Paul says that for our citizenship is in heaven where we eagerly await the Savior. What is to look forward to? That was the, the thing that uh, with my wife she didn't suffer like a lot of them. I'm so grateful for I prayed that she wouldn't suffer because cancer can not be easy. Some of you may be going through it right now. From, but um, she didn't. But when she took her last breath and it hits you, you know, and yet it was like a big load came off because I had the absolute assurance to know that to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, um, verses... <clears throat> Um, five through eight there, or yeah, six, seven, and eight. Um, you know, Paul says, as long as we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. But I would prefer to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, that confidence. And Paul knew that, you see, and, and he remembered his citizenship was in heaven. And what we have to look forward to, you know. And... Uh, if, if we can do that, it frees us not to hold bitterness against people or things or whatever circumstances that happen, and it can rob us of that joy 
And I know a fellow took his life here a short time ago, became very infamous, a very rich person, and some people that were abused by him are so angry that, that um, he didn't get to stand justice here. Well, let me tell you, nobody can give out justice like God can, and it will be right. We can turn that over to God and leave it to him and let him take care of the circumstances, you see. And it's with us, with people. They're in God's hands. It's up to them. It's not my responsibility. My responsibility is not what they do, but how do I respond to that? I call it the Matthew 7 principle. In order for significant life growth to come about in our lives, we have to accept personal responsibility for our own attitudes and actions depending on the Holy Spirit to empower us. That gives us that ability then, the Holy Spirit empowering us. My greatest desire plus my greatest determination equals spiritual defeat apart from the empowering work of the Spirit of God in my life. And uh, as soon as I take it into my own hands, I can expect things to fall on the floor, you know. So it's things here that we see in chapter 4. We're going to do pretty good. We're going to wrap it up then. Because we're getting close to 12, right? In uh, Philippians chapter 4, the thief there is worry. You know, worry can just strangle us. And, and it's worry there. And uh, again, uh, probably many of you have memorized 4-4. Um, four, four. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known or moderation be known to all men. The Lord's at hand. And then in verse 6, do not be anxious for anything or about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. And it says there, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And the prayer there, I believe, is, is kind of an overall adoration, worship type thing. And in petitions where we're making requests and then to thank God with confidence to know that God will do what's right and do what's best for us. And, uh, boy, I don't know about you, I look back over my life and, <laughs> you know, I can't believe it. I'm just an ordinary person, not brainy at all. Probably God give me a little more focus and maybe some people that I can stay on target with things. But, you know, it's just, uh, uh, fortunately, he gave me a really bright wife, which was a great help. And when we'd go places, and I'd say, now, what were those people's names again? And she'd tell me, oh, yeah, and I'd write it down. I'd keep working until I got it, but she had it the first time and not me. But, but you know, God still uses us. It's amazing what God can do with us and we'll just allow God to use us for who we are. And we don't need to worry. And again, then, we see here uh, in verse 8, again, Paul talking about this focus. And if I don't leave with anything else, I hope you grasp your heart is, our spiritual focus is so important. And look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then whatever you learned or received or heard, 
put into practice, and look at the last part, and the God of peace shall be with you. We can still have real deep down joy, know things are all, everything is okay, even when the cow's gone dry and the chickens quit laying and everything takes a turn for the worse. Because we know the outcome. And in Christ Jesus, we're the ones that are victorious. And hopefully, sometimes in the hard times when we can still praise God and walk on in, in, a, in a joy, not this hilarious type, but knowing things are all right, the world does not understand this. And sometimes it's our greatest testimony towards others. Again, I think you'll find four thieves here in the book. Number one is circumstances. Number two is people. Three is things. And four is worry. But there's a key to those things. So let's pray. Father, I just pray somehow a little bit of this has been able to share with others as you have really encouraged my own heart. Lord, I thank you for Paul and for his example to all of us. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for your incredible sacrifice for each one of us to be willing to leave all of heaven and come to earth and to live and to love, to example and to serve, to give your life a ransom that we might not only have life but have it more abundantly. God, help us to keep our eyes upon you so that we might enjoy this abundant life in Christ's name. Amen.